everyone. Welcome to the Improv Teachers. I am your host, Lauren Morris. This month we have Chris Mead, and I'm so excited. Chris is a UK-based performer and theater maker who teaches and coaches improvisation in London. He has studied theater at Royal Holloway College, improv at IO and The Annoyance. He is also the co-artistic director of the Nursery Theater, a space in London dedicated to improv as a theatrical art form and member of the internationally renowned ensemble The Maydays, one half of a science duo project two and recently co-founded unmade theater he also hosts yes Bot, a podcast about the theory and craft of improv so i got to meet chris uh is uh maybe 2014 i don't even know at this point i was at um I got to perform with Chris also. we I was part of an international ensemble in Ireland at the uh, Ireland Improv Festival in Dublin. And uh, it was just a joy and a pleasure to meet him. And I didn't even really know that I was meeting the Chris Mead of May Days. I was just really excited to be meeting Chris Mead, who hosts the Doctor Who podcast. So that was super fun. And we got to talk that. I love this conversation. And of course, it sounds better because us Americans love the British accent. Uh, you get a lot of great nuggets in this. You know that Chris knows his craft and that he loves teaching and he has thought about it and he does it and he does it with uh, love from for the art form that we all have. So let's sit back. Let's listen. And thank you guys so much. Here we go. This is Chris Mead. Um, yeah, so I always like to start with, uh, do you remember the first improv class you taught? It's really interesting. Um, I didn't allow myself to teach for a long time. Uh, I have like, had that imposter syndrome thing for a long, long time. Um, so what I did first was I coached uh, for two years and I coached for free for two years. Um, just to start kind of getting all those muscles that you need to be a teacher active. So I absolutely remember um, the first time that I was in charge of a group of improvisers, or I say in charge of them having a good time and in charge of them getting better. Um, so is, is that that's a good thing to talk about? I think so, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, talk about that, please, about like being in, in charge and figuring all of that out for yourself and what was working and what wasn't. Well, I, I, so I'd been improvising for about five years at that point, and I'd just come back from the five-week intensive at I.O., um, and I'd sort of added a lot to my trip. So I'd done uh, the intensive at I.O., but I'd also done a bit of the annoyance, and I'd flown to Austin and did some stuff at the hideout. And I think I was basically away from home for about nine weeks, uh, and I came back, and I was I had seen an improv community, uh, several improv communities that were so exciting and dynamic and there were so many people in it and I could see diversity and it ha I was charged right up like a battery and I was, uh, if you could see my battery indicator, it would be green all the way to the top and probably flashing as well. Uh, and I came back and I wanted to do something and I wanted to start making this a reality in my own community in London, which was still very small. I just wanted to to change things somehow. Um, I had that, um, I was evangelical at that point. And, um, and, but I didn't trust myself to teach yet. Whatever imposter syndrome, whatever it was, I couldn't do it. Um, and I had a chat with Susan Messing and Susan Messing said, you should coach someone. You should coach a group of people. Um, so that's what I did. I put a advert in uh, one of our local Facebook groups and I said, look, I'm willing to a coach for free um and and that group uh, which became later on a group called the science of living things which i coached every week i would say for about two years uh, came out of that and i was just so lucky with the people i got there they were they were new to the community but they were all performers who had been performing at university or performing other places in the country anyway um so they weren't beginners at all but they were uh, they were new to London uh, and so we spent two years sort of working from like what kind of show are we going to do how, how are we going to create this uh, and yeah I can remember the first time you know actually putting the money down actually having a room and then staring at these eight eager faces and going 
okay, what am I, what am I going to do? And <laughs> I, I think I started, I think as many improv uh, teachers started by go doing the exercises that I had loved and that had meant something to me and that I'd got something out of. Um, I take copious notes when I am in a lesson. Uh, so I had all the exercises that I'd ever done, uh, the impact that that had had on me. And I just started creating, I guess, a syllabus, a lesson plan, a coaching plan out of that. Um, you know, um, and I found when I could, when I identified a player had a weakness that I could help with. I just needed to look back through my notes and find the exercises that had helped me with that thing. Uh, yeah, so definitely for that first year, um, it was just me regurgitating the greatest hits of all the brilliant people who had. <laughs> who had yeah. <laughs> I think that's, uh, I mean, that's definitely normal. And just I know um, when I was at the annoyance, um, Susan was also a teacher of mine, and uh, I, I had improv experience, but where I was coming out of, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't maybe best supported to hone my own authentic voice, and so I was trying to be something I thought would people wanted on stage, and so she called me out on my bullshit right away and was like, what is this? <laughs> does that, yeah. Right. That's definitely a messing move. And then I sort of told her, like, you know, who I think I was as a performer, but that, like, the the places I was currently, you know, like, had opportunities that, that didn't really work with it. And she's like, well, then you need to not be at those places. And I was like, well, wait. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> um, and it was, it was great because it was one of the first times I had a teacher say, like, no, you can – you can be your own, like you have your own style and your own voice and it will be celebrated somewhere. You just got to find your people. Yeah. Um, and that's really valuable that she used the fact that you respected her to empower you. Uh, yeah. And I, I've never forgotten that as, as a teacher, you know, remembering what it was like when people, would, you know, I still, I still have many, many people that I look up to and, and hold in regard. And it's a weird thing to know that people do that to me now but to never hold that lightly and to know that when people come and ask you questions don't be dismissive of them because they could be at that point where they're going to change their the way they perform or, or the way that their improv life is going and to yeah and just to always hold that into awe and respect that people want to yeah. know your opinion that's not something you should ever take for granted I don't think I don't know about you but I'm still not super comfortable in that position yet because it's it's over the last few years, it started to happen more. And I, I remember um, I was at a festival and uh, someone found me just to let me know that like they saw I was teaching and they came three hours just so that they could take a class with me. And that was like, the first time that kind of happened. And it's sort of like, wait, oh no. And then in my head, of course, I'm like, am I good enough for you to be like driving three hours and come find me? Um, so it's still a little, um, that's still a little bit of a, I don't know, like a weird piece of clothing to wear, but yeah, but I do, I take it so, like, not only is it humbling and amazing, but it's one of those things of like, well, then hopefully um, I can treat it, just like you said, with that respect and whatnot and help, and, and help you on your journey. Kind of yeah, a hundred percent. And I think if you ever get to a point where you aren't cognizant of how big a deal that is, then, you know, you're starting to slide into guru status and uh, God save us from gurus of every stripe. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, we don't. Um, I also just find it weird that someone be, can be a guru in this art form. That is Which so... Is, <laughs> <laughs> collaborative and uh and and predicated on failure at every level all the time right. they'll get better yeah right uh, so from those early days of regurgitating how do you think you've changed uh to now um uh, you were talking about this uh, a bit earlier and that's so uh, finding yourself as a performer and as an improviser then informs i think who you are as a teacher because you want your students to come to shows and see you personifying 
the uh, things that you advocate as a teacher. So the more you see who you are as an improv performer, the more you know what you've got to give as a teacher. I could teach um, accents and character, but I'm not good at that as a performer. So I don't think that's authentic, really. So I think as, as I've come into knowing what my strengths are um, as a performer, uh, that has been reflected in the things that I teach. And also I know when I'm in the right, in the sweet spot because I have so much enthusiasm for these things and so much energy and I can articulate them without really even having to think about it. So um, yeah, I think that's how just by performing more and teaching more, I've, I've come into knowing where, who I am as a teacher and what I can offer uh, improvisers. Right. Students. Yeah. And, and so right now, what are you, because you, you're currently teaching a lot of things right now. So what kind of are you teaching, right? Like what's on your plate right now? Well, right at the moment, I'm in the middle of an intensive. So I'm teaching every day the same students, which has been absolutely amazing. And I'm teaching a course on emotional connection. And it's the first time I've called it emotional connection. Before now, I've called it improvised theatre. Uh, but I thought that was just a bit too giant. A, uh, I realised what I was really teaching was emotional connection. Walking in and, and feeling something for your scene partner. And how to slow down your improv to a point where you can absolutely... Uh, see every moment of that and, and the scale of that so um so i'm doing that for five days every day uh and then i'm doing it for another eight weeks once a week um so so i think emotional connection um with another with another with a scene partner mostly two two person scenes is uh what i love so much i think and I think it's not a style. It can be applied to anything. I think emotional depth and intelligence can make a scene better, whether it's a short form scene, whether it's a narrative show, whether it's a Harold or an Armando, just knowing how you feel about other people responding like a real human being is so beautiful in every kind of improv. Um, so yeah, I am, I am very, very passionate about that. Uh, emotional connection, understanding, uh, showing how you feel and, and being, and pulling from yourself, being authentic, taking stuff from your life, your values, your memories, and putting that into your work. Uh, yeah, that's sort of where I am at the moment. That's what I love. Um, yeah, I've been doing dives on vulnerability and authenticity in, um, in improv as well. And so one of my questions then is, uh, you know, because sometimes you do tap into things that, um, that can be big deals, right, or big moments. So how are you sort of setting up your classroom so people feel safe to express themselves? Uh, yeah, a bunch of ways. Uh, I like to do a lot of talking up front. I like to do a lot of talking a lot of the time, but I do like to uh, have some discussions. Um, I, I'm very into uh, boundary chats. You know, this is uh, where I am. These are where my boundaries are. Um, I, I, I will do in a class situation, I will absolutely do a few blanket rules that I like in class. We're never going to kiss. We're never going to lunge at each other and try and punch each other, even though we know it's stage fighting. We're not even going to attempt any of that stuff. There is absolutely not going to be any uh, touching and anything that we could call a bath, uh, bathing suit area. Um, and, uh, and finally, uh, if it requires consent in real life, it requires consent in improv. Um, now, I think when you are in a group who are trust, trust each other and are working together regularly, you can let up some of those things by mutual consent of the whole group. But in a class situation, I'm just never going to let up with those rules. Um, and also, I like to check in boundary every time we meet because people aren't the same every day. Some days, I love to be hugged. Another day, I'm just like, everyone get away from me. Uh, and that, that's different every time. So it's, uh, it's good to check in with the cast regularly. It's not like, okay, this is how you are, and that's how you're going to be in perpetuity. This is how you are today. So a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, I like to uh, go around and have everyone talk about where they are in their improv journey. I like to ask for pronouns now. I think that's really important uh, to make everyone feel safe and, 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 and sort of there in the class uh, so there's a lot of discussing at the beginning that i set up to create a safe space i also point out that i 
and white and male and cisgendered and straight and perhaps or well, definitely my own biases are going to go the way so that anyone in the class is, is should be able to speak up and and tell me if they're uncomfortable because I try my best to notice things I'm not necessarily always going to be able to right and I mean you know there's that and I mean that's the same of any person um but yeah we I've had some times when we've done some train the trainers of our teachers here and um a teacher saying oh i've been doing something like this way and i was like okay time out don't do it this way because you're actually coming from a place of privilege and and males you know especially on the state side are encouraged to get after it and women are encouraged to sit quietly and what you're setting up now is women not speaking up on stage so we can't do that and the, and and, and the person you know and the the teacher's like oh my god i didn't even know that was a thing and i'm like well right how would you, <laughs> you know? yeah it's uh, absolutely yeah. okay to make mistakes but when you're confronted by them that's when you have you have to be like okay i'm listening to you right. i understand that i need to change this and as long as people do i think that's fine again it goes back to improv you know we are going to fail we are going to make mistakes is what we do with those mis those mistakes uh that that decides who we are as a person as an improviser now, will you, so with all of that in place, are you the teacher then who, if, you know, they, they do run into some waters that you're like, oh, these are boundaries crossing, will you stop the scene right away? Or do you just kind of feel it out depending on their level and see if they can get through it? Like, what's your typical approach? Yeah, if it's a beginner's or an intermediate one, I'm going to stop it straight away. Um, if it's an advanced group and, and if it's a group that have known each other for a while or I'm coaching a team that I'm stepping into an environment of a group that I'm not, you know, haven't been controlling from the beginning, then um, I, will, I will decide in the moment what's the best thing. But as I say, beginners, intermediate, you just got to stop it. Because, I mean, how awful would it be if one bad experience stopped people being able to continue with this art form that has you know changed my life and and made it better in so many ways what if one bad experience has stopped someone doing that so definitely if they're at the beginning of their journey i'm going to be a little bit more dictatorial <laughs> in terms of just stopping and getting people to discuss it yeah i think that's really helpful for younger teachers also to know that and and, and if you've got the boundaries up front then it also becomes a less awkward situation for the teacher also person. right so they can just be like pause remember those boundaries that we discussed Here's one of them, and this is why. And it becomes a very normal conversation versus making someone feel very uncomfortable that they tried something and it failed. Um, yeah, and I think you've also got to know yourself a bit because I am conflict adverse. I'm mm. conflict adverse as a person. Also, you know, I'm British, so uh, yeah. doubly so. I prefer to wage my wars through subtext and uh, <laughs> just being a little icy. Um, but but so if you know that you're like that you're gonna to have to step up a bit and also if you know that you tend to really you know you see yourself as a person who uh like the hero of your own story and and you're the sort of person that will come in aggressively you've also got to be aware of that so really also uh have a look at yourself how do you tend to react to conflict are you in people's faces or do you tend to do anything you can not to uh get to conflict uh, you don't have that luxury as a teacher. A lot of the time you are going to have to deal with conflict in a healthy way. <laughs> so uh, whatever that means to you, you've got to get to that place where you can do that. Yeah, that's one of those things that, um, one, I think a lot of improvisers are conflict aversive and don't necessarily communicate well off stage, uh, which is always fascinating to me. We're um, interesting people. Right, we are. <laughs> But I remember very early on in my teaching uh, improv career, um, something came up and nowadays I would have stopped it and I didn't stop it. And then when I got to the end of the scene and I was trying to address it, I felt like I was just, you know, bumbling idiot through it and I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And at the end of the day, it's like not, again, I think it goes back to really though having strong boundaries at the top and having those discussions because it becomes much easier so now i can if you will engage in the conflict a little easier but i'm like hey remember this thing we agreed to this is why you're crossing that line and 90 percent of the time the students like oh my god i didn't even realize it and then we can have a really great conversation from there 
Yeah, absolutely. I think having those uh, rules up front makes it impersonal. It's like, we said this, this is not about you. This is just that boundary has been crossed. So we have to deal with it now. Uh, right. I think, I think when you've laid that groundwork, it makes every conversation easier. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever had someone stop their own scene on you and say, I, you know, this is crossing a boundary for me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's yeah. And, and sometimes those boundaries are ones that are, you know, that you could never know about. It's about someone's history. It's about where they are at that moment. Um, and I think, yeah, I think I can forgive myself for those things. Okay, I didn't know that. They've stopped it. And, you know, the point is there to uh, back them up on that, to make the class feel okay, to make the person... I think you've also got to think about the improviser who is in the scene with the person that stops it. Um, they might feel really bad. They may feel like they've done something wrong. You've got to address it, but also make sure that everyone knows that if we do this kind of work, you know, if we're going to do this kind of work where we open ourselves up, when we make ourselves vulnerable, there are going to be moments where this happens. That is not a bad thing. And again, it's the way we deal with it now that, that can make it a bad thing or a good thing. No one should feel bad uh, if they didn't do it on purpose, but we need to deal with it and take steps to make sure it doesn't happen again, or at least to um, make sure uh, that we have a, a good chance for it not happening again. Have you found, um, but also it might be because you're, like you said, a white cisgendered male. Um, have you found with having like the, the conversations up front and whatnot, help also with your students not pushing back on notes per se? Um, or notes around those things that the, the, the rules are about? Yeah, around those things or just notes in general, you know, um, you know, when you're giving your notes after a scene. Um, my, my experience has been if we're upfront about like what I'm going to be looking for, what I'm expect, you know, expecting, and that notes are not about the person but about the behavior that I'm observing, um, I find I don't get necessarily as much pushback or defense from a student. Oh, yeah. If you're really clear about, you know, what, this is what we're looking at, then I think that's fine. I think when people get defensive, it is where it comes out of the blue, you know, where it's sort of like, we're going to do initiations today. And then you suddenly give a note about uh, how you don't think their character was authentic or something. They, I think they have every right to be like, but that wasn't what we were looking at. I think as a teacher, what you've got to do is say, yeah, as you say, set things up. This exercise is about this. I'm giving notes about this one thing everything else you just relax you can do it however you want yeah and i don't think unless it's something that is dangerous or crosses one of those big boundaries we were talking about just ignore all as a teacher you'll look at a scene and you'll see a thousand things that you could note but that's not helpful to a student it's helpful to a student to say we're working on this here's the notes on this otherwise they could feel they can feel attacked personally attacked in a way that isn't helpful what you need them to feel is that this is a critical analysis that is going to improve them as a performer yeah i, I think that's a really big thing that teachers or younger younger improv teachers if you will learn also is the art of like what to ignore and what not and that comes from really understanding what your exercises are looking for yeah yeah. your exercises can deliver you know this exercise is good for status uh this exercise is good for creating a uh, group ensemble work uh i am incredibly geeky um as anyone who's ever spoken to me will know uh, i have a, a database of improv exercises that are then cross-referenced <laughs> cross by different tags so yeah. like these are all the ones that are good for emotion these are all the ones that are good for finding the game and i can kind of cross-reference them and move them and every time i have a, you know i go to a new class everything gets written up and put into that database which then expands and the database has a lesson plan app attached to it where i can literally drag across um exercises to create my syllabuses and lesson plans and then they're all yeah, and they can all cross-reference. They're all clickable and HTML clickable from each other as well. I love that stuff. <laughs> I love it. Did you, because so cool. um, uh, I love that stuff too. And a lot of that stuff for me though was um, due to the fact that when I was, my master's program required me to teach at a college level. And so I had to understand how to do all that stuff. Was that something, like where did that knowledge come from for you? the knowledge of the tech stuff 
you know, like the tech stuff and then creating the syllabus and understanding how to like, you know, what exercises are going to work where and that kind of thing. Because I, I feel like a lot of times improvisers who, you know, whatever their else their experience is, they don't necessarily understand, you know, the, the under the underneath of the teaching part of it. Mm. Yeah, this, uh, I guess, uh, pedagogy, uh, the, you know, the, the science of teaching. So, yeah, I, I ask myself this a lot. I mean, my mum was a teacher and a very, very good one, um, but I wasn't in class with her, so it's not like I got that through any kind of osmosis. Um, I, ask my, I do ask myself a lot if I am a good teacher. I, I think I am, I'm a good improv teacher because I absolutely love it. And it has changed my life fundamentally in so many ways that I uh, that I want to speak about it. I don't think I could teach physics. I'm not clever enough for one thing, but also I don't have that uh, that thing. But yeah, I think it just goes from being a student for so many years of improv and seeing what worked and internalizing that, and then kind of working on it from that point. Um, and I think it's probably a good point to say at this point that no one should ever stop taking improv classes. You know what I mean? I think I find, I find so many interesting new exercises, new vocabulary on how to describe this experience of performing from just going to classes all the time. And you don't have to only go to classes of people who are more experienced than you. Uh, absolutely not. And you should also really, really try and go to people, uh, classes with uh, teachers who are very different from you uh, in, any, in any of the ways that human beings are different from each other. Because you're just going to get, oh, as I said earlier, a better vocabulary of how to teach improv and you're going to, more things are going to fit into place the more you do that. So I think, yeah, writing syllabuses, trying to think of um, uh, what are the atomic skills that this class is going to teach? What exercises uh, teach those skills? Uh, what could come up in a class like this? What exercises to have in your back pocket in case those problems come up that will help with that? All of that stuff I kind of put together by just going to a whole bunch of classes. Cause when I started improv, I was going five days a week to different classes, to different schools. I wasn't, uh, I didn't, I wasn't a loyalist. I didn't go, okay, this is my improv sc school. This is my style. I just went to everything. Improv mime, you know, improv physical theater, game-based classes. Um, I would go and do theater. Uh, I would just, anything that had improv in the title and a lot of stuff that didn't, you know, I think there's a lot of um, theater stuff as well, that um, straight scripted theater stuff, that I think is, is really good for improv too. I just went to all of it and slowly over the time, I was like, this lights me up. This doesn't. Um, and, mm, uh, and then sort of created my syllabuses from, through that. And then as I got a little bit more experienced, I was like, well, this stuff doesn't work for me, but it does work for a bunch of people. So you're going to have to get good at this too, because there's going to be people in your classes who need that too. But that I have to confess came a little later when I started, I was just like, here's all the stuff I love. <laughs> right. And, but I think that's a great insight too. And that's why, like you said, take classes that don't, fit your style or your, you know, what, what makes you passionate about improv. And I will do that as well. Um, for me personally, it's the character driven and the relationship driven type of long form improv that uh, that's not narrative that I, that that's my wheelhouse. That's where I love to be. Um, yeah. That being said, I sure as I absolutely took classes UCB style so that I could talk the talk and walk the walk so that when someone does walk into my classroom and they're like, well, what about this? I'm not just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, it also helps reinforce that like, yeah, I can do this and I can be good at it, but I don't love it. And that's important too, because that helps define who you are as an improviser, which then helps you as a teacher. Yes. And I always tell my classes that uh, if you don't like what I'm, you know, if you don't like an exercise or don't like a technique, don't uh, gel with this tool that I'm giving you, 
that's absolutely fine. Please give it 100% when you're in class with me, but you can throw that thing away as soon as you're out of the class and that it's absolutely fine to do that. Everything that I teach is my opinion. It's my window on improv from my point of view. And that is not going to work for everyone. All that I ask is that when people are in class, they try it with an open mind. And if they you know, don't like it and it really just doesn't work for them, that's, that's completely fine. Of course it is. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I sometimes, you know, because sometimes I'll get students who will say, oh, well, I had a teacher who said this. And I know they're just asking for my opinion on something. But then part of me is like, ooh, do they go into other classes and be like, well, Lauren said it has to be this way, because that's not what I'm trying to do. It's just my opinion. And this is what I, you know, works well. And then because, you know, because of the theater, this is the philosophy that this theater plays from. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's this lovely metaphor, and I forget who first told it to me, of uh, when you start improv, you get your tool belt, and then every exercise, every technique, every everything that you learn is one tool that you could use. And some of them will contradict each other. You know, you can't use a screwdriver to, oh, I'm not very good at dealing with it. It's very hard to use a screwdriver to knock in a nail, right? It's not the right, or to saw wood in half. It's, you could do it with a screwdriver, but it'd be very hard. That's why uh, things are different from each That's why tools are different from each other. They have different functions. They're meant to do different things. And some of those functions are um, completely contradictory to, to, to each other. If you go in as an improv student and think you have to use every single technique you learn in every class in every show always then that would be the equivalent of having a tool belt laden with tools and then having a nail sticking out of the wall and then just taking off the entire tool belt and just wailing on that nail with it until it's knocked in rather than selecting your hammer and tapping it in and then putting it back in your tool belt you don't use all of these things at once and i think also improvisers should talk more about this before they do a show just because you're a brilliant improviser doesn't mean you're going to be improvising in the same style as someone else so before you do a mixer team before you go on just say okay what sort of thing are we looking for and then we can select the right tools for that and the show's going to be easier right oh yeah especially in those um you know and, and i'm sure you've done those too is those even those teacher shows when we're at festivals and they throw all the teachers up i'm always like Great, this is going to be fun, but if no one's, you know, like, I know so-and-so over here has a completely different style than I am. Okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and if you don't talk, and you two would be easily be able to work together, but just a little conversation beforehand to check in and say, you know, this is where I am, this kind of show, and find that place in the middle, because there's always going to be one. We're improvisers. We'll right. find it. We well, and that's what... Yeah, and that's what's hilarious, right? Because improv improvising in of itself is constant adapting to ever-changing circumstances. And I will have, um, you know, tying it back to teachers. I've had some teachers sometimes will go into a class that's supposed to be one way and just the nature of the students, it's another way. And they get a little stuck because they had this whole beautiful syllabus plan. And I'm like, right, but the syllabus and your students didn't match up. Yeah. So you have to adapt, and, and, and that's, that is the beauty of having lots of experience and that Rolodex in your mind and being on the fly that change. Like you said, having backup exercises is great to walk in um, because you, you have to teach what, just like when the, just like forms are there to serve us, we're not serving the form, the teachers are there to serve the students. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you can walk into a room and know. I, I just this happened to me the other day. I was going in to do a lesson which was going to be really digging into emotional connections. So it was going to be a lot of very slow, heartfelt uh, scenes with a lot of silence in them. But the room felt down. I was like, I can't start from this place so you so you go you play some silly games you do some energy raises you uh, talk about joy and and then teach uh sort of positive emotions there are, are ways you can't just go straight to the uh, depressing stuff if people are you know every every improv student brings the day in with them like the tail of a comet you know if they've had a bad day looking at a monitor screen or or something bad's happened to them they're going to bring that into the room you have to have some sort of 
improv spidey sense that allows you to be like, maybe we're not going to do this exercise now because that's not where the room is. Yeah, that's such a um, an important piece of it. It's just, uh, uh, for me, I think that's uh, both a sign of a very good improviser and just a, a good sign of a teacher and, a, you know, maybe even a good human is to just be able to read that room and, you know, that empathy of like, ooh, this is off right now. And yeah. I, as a teacher, they're, you know, they look to me as to guide them. So let's, let's fix that if, you, if we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, have you, <laughs> I just like to ask this because um, I find this more, as I've been doing this podcast, I find this answer to be more and more or less no, but have you ever had to ask someone to leave a class? Once in my whole career, just once. You want to, can you share about that? Uh, yeah, so this student, um, she came in late. Um, I was already warming up the class and she just immediately said loudly, oh, I hate this exercise, just to the entire room. I hate this. I, I'm, I'm a drama, and then she sort of went on to say how she was a drama teacher and she wouldn't, she wouldn't do this. Um, and then... I said, well, you know, I, I think this will be really good. And, and I know that you're here to, to get better at improv. And I think actually, if you try this exercise, you'll see there is a reason for it. And she did it with such bad grace. Like she, she sort of, okay, then she sort of did a parody of the exercise with her partner, ruining it for her partner. And then I just found for the rest of the class, I was spending 80% of my time just making sure she was okay so that she didn't pollute the atmosphere of the whole class. And at the end, I just was like, I can't, you know, everyone's paid to be here. I can't spend 80% of my time making sure you, you're okay. Uh, and so I talked with the, the uh, owner of, of the school that I was teaching for, uh, and he gave her a full refund for the whole course and said, you just can't be in this class. And I've always felt really bad about that. But then I found recently that she has also been excluded from several other classes um, so, you know, I, I felt maybe there was a way that I should have been a better teacher. I was a quite a young teacher at that point, And I always thought to myself, is there something I could have done that would allow her to participate? Um, but I have found that, that, that she um, has uh, since been excluded from various classes for exactly the same thing. Like yeah. teachers can try and make it work, but if they're spending all their brain power doing it, it's not fair for the rest of the class. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a... Um... So that's something also that I, I also one student in my entire teaching and it was very early on in my teaching also yes. where she was just taking so much time when I finally was like, you know what, here's your money. I don't think this is the right environment for you. And I always wondered too, like, it's the same story though. Like I always wonder like, could I have done it better? But then I found out that she also had been excluded from these other improv programs. So I'm like, okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. But now what I'll try to do if there's a student that is taking a lot of my time, I've really gotten comfortable with being like, hey, let's put a pin in that. Come see me after class. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then even after class, sometimes they're like, hey, look, I do have a family and I, I do want to discuss this. So either come a little early or let's do this. I'm happy to get on the phone with you or, you know. And a lot of times just knowing that I'm available to be heard stops their behavior. Yeah. Uh, it still yeah. feels like a failure to me. I still wonder if there was something I could have done. Right. Um, and I, I agree that if people demand a lot of your time in class, then if you're happy with it, offer them some time after class or before class or, or via email. Um, I think Jay Sukoko is at Improv Tech Support, uh, Lifetime Improv Tech Support, which I really like as a, as a thing. Um, I've just remembered I also had a person once, uh, this has only ever happened to me once, about an hour into the first class of an eight-week um, course, he, he comes in an hour late and he immediately just drops his bag and says, you, I can't believe you've done this again. And then he addressed the class. This guy isn't the teacher. He always pretends to be the teacher, but he's not. <laughs> this is the first time in <laughs> just came in and just started to do a bit. And um, I actually thought it was pretty funny. So that was okay. <laughs> but um, I couldn't believe uh, <laughs> how confident he was to just come in and pretend that I was some errant pupil who had... <laughs> just taken over the class in his absence um i guess some people just like i'm just gonna make a big first impression uh, but yeah i thought that was really funny so that was fine 
I'm already an hour late. Might as well just go all in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That shows some confidence. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's all, a, a, it's a really, you know, a lot of times I think younger teachers start off and they're like, I just love improv and I want to teach it. Great. Obviously that you've got to start there. Um, but it's then quickly learning like how many different personalities you're going to learn to manage. Yes. Yes. And what your own personality, because sometimes I have to adjust my own personality a bit and be like, no, this is a student. They pay here. You know, they paid to be here just because I'm crabby doesn't mean they get that version. So oh. I got to get my act together before I walk in the door. And I'm, you know, I have a day job. So a lot of the time right. uh, I'm, I'm working a nine to five and then going on to teach afterwards. And, you know, I have to make sure that whatever kind of day I had, uh, that doesn't affect the class. And that can be really hard. And it, but it's only hard for the time in between leaving my office and getting to the place that I'm teaching. There I feel really bad. But, and why I know that improv is my life's work, the thing that I want to do forever, is because it gives me energy again. So as soon as I start class, I feel this dynamo starting to turn over in my chest and I feel the energy flood back to me. Um, so even though I'm legitimately doing 10 to 10, 12 hour days uh, with between my two jobs, it doesn't, it's still, improv still feels like play to me, even though it's now becoming more and more my job. And, and I am seeing my work hours shrink as uh, my, uh, as I'm able to book more uh, teaching and more performing uh, here and internationally, actually. It's just so lovely um, to have that. And I'm so glad that improv does recharge me because otherwise I'd be dead. Right. right. Well, yeah. Big... That's exactly. Um, uh, so it's been one of those kind of weeks where um, I, you know, right. So now with the theater and stuff, I have all the administrative duties of running mm -hmm. the theater. Where So it's been one of those weeks where the daytime has been teenagers appointments and all of this like budgetary spreadsheet type of stuff and also one of these weeks where i'm there six nights in a row yeah uh, and i remember last night that you know just like having to leave and i was like oh i don't want to do this and then i got there and by the time i was ready to leave i was like oh i'm wide awake i'm ready to go and it's the yeah. same yeah i'm like oh this is what right it's exactly why i know that this is my also life calling because it might be those 10 minutes of like, oh, I got to leave the kids and I got to get in the car and all this. But the moment I walk in and the moment I'm done, I'm ready to just like take on the world again. Well, this is why I love this podcast uh, uh, and why I think it's important is because that is exactly how I feel. That's my experience too. And I think as teachers all, all around the world, we are actually having very similar experiences. And just to know that other people have this too is so important, I think. It's super important. Um, it's, and I don't think as teachers, we necessarily uh, talk enough about not just like what is strategizing and what's working and what exercise, but the underneath of all the things we've been talking about today. And, and sometimes even like, I'm really struggling to get through to someone. What have you found that has worked? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause we don't have to do this in the entire I'm so sorry. I spoke over you there. That's okay. We can't see each other, so it's a little hard. Um, no, I'm saying like we, you know, improv is such a collaborative experience, but sometimes I feel like teachers forget that, and then they just don't reach out to other teachers about stuff mm. they're struggling with. And yeah, yeah, it's helpful to do that. Yeah, I think so. I love this phrase, community of practice. That improv is a community of practice. It's a group of people who are doing the same thing and experiencing it uh, the same. I'm part of a, an amazing um, improv think tank called Ohana, which is a European uh, improv. Yeah, I think a think tank's a good name for it. We come together three times a year in a different European country. And, uh, and, and most of us are teachers and, and leaders in some way in our own communities. And we come together and we just yeah lead workshops for each other talk about what it's like being an improviser and being a teacher in our own countries and so much of the time it's the same and just to be able to reach out and there's i think there's 50 of us at the moment spanning most countries in the european union 
and a few that aren't, which will be my country in a few months. Right. Um, but uh, uh, it's this, inc- uh, wherever we are, we have the same things, these same stories come up, these same things that we worry about, the same triumphs, and it's so nice to have. And it's so nice to go to a place where you don't have to be the one making it happen for a week. Because uh, yeah. everyone is that person in their own community and just be. And I just I've just come back from Slovenia uh, for a week with them. And like we just, you know, sat out and looked at the stars and sung lullabies to each other in different languages and swam in an ice lake and went hiking. And then, you know, we did a bunch of improv too. But just to be with these people... Uh, and and know that they're on the same path as me is really helpful. It's really yeah, special. It, it is so helpful. It's 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 wonderful. Um, uh, what? So with all of that in mind and all that, what do you think it takes to make to be a great improv teacher? There's there's always there's going to be something that you can offer that no one else can offer. You need to identify and interrogate what that thing is. And then and do that because you know, I see so many improv teachers that can just do anything. They could they do they I see that the, what their classes are and they just do everything. But I think there's going to be one thing or a couple of things that you have spent a lifetime working out how to do well as an improviser, and you need to offer those things because we can all we can all do as I did in my first year, just whip out the, um, the old standards and, and, and do them and teach them. But, uh, there's going to be a few things that you just, you could do naturally. That was something that was in your DNA or in your soul that you're just, you're great at. You need to find those things and find a way to pass them on to the next generation of improviser, I think. And, uh, and I'm probably stepping on my own point here, but also be good at teaching beginners because it's important to be able to do that. And I know you probably didn't never want to do another three line scene ever again, but that stuff is helpful and it's a drill and it's something it's reps that people need to do. Um, yeah. So I think those two things and finally get good at uh, giving notes, giving notes is scary at first. Uh, no, no, not at first. Always giving notes is always scary, but stretch that muscle for yourself and, and, and keep doing it work out identify what are the things that you can uh, that you can help with in that scene um i'm very very uh, i really love this adage that every choice you make in improv it doesn't make it good or bad it makes it easier or it makes it harder and i think note uh, giving notes should be about this is just how to make this scene easier for you yeah you're still going to put your own amazing spin on it but just this behavior is going to make it easier and if you can be really good at just pulling that thing out and giving it to people as a gift, then I think you're going to be a good teacher overall. Yeah. I, uh, just a quick, so I also coach uh, one of our teams at the theater and last night we were, we were coaching and they were talking about something They're like, well, how do you get to making this character, you know, like this relationship choice so quickly. And I was like, all right, everybody up, you know, into the sort of like, we call it that soul line was two parallel, that parallel lines. And I was like, and we literally did basically like a three line scene where you just let one word affect you. And then from there, make a big leap and assumption about the relationship. And everyone's like, oh, that was so easy. And it's like, right, because you're never, you're never too good to go back to a three line scene. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. And I think people who teach, um, I don't, yeah, something about personality and don't try and be the teacher you're not. Like, yeah. I'm always going to be like an excitable puppy. That's the only way I can teach because that's who I am. If I try to be authoritarian or kind of a big brother, like, you'll get hurt, but I'll, I'll pull you up and you will keep going together. I've seen very effective teachers like that. Uh, that's not going to be me. I'm going to be the one gaffetating gaffer taping pillows to you so that you never get hurt because that's just the way I teach uh you're gonna need you're gonna need as an improviser you're gonna need different choices so be a very clear choice be an extreme or a uh you know a a something that people like oh yeah you go to her for that kind of teaching right Uh, you go to them for that kind of teaching I think that's good be you don't try and be everyone yeah, I love that. Uh, if someone wanted to get in, started, start on their own teaching journey, do you have any advice on how to get started? 
I mean, it really worked for me to give your services for free for a while until uh, someone else uh, asks you to teach. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I did. I, I coached for two years without asking for any money because I loved it. And by the end of that, when someone asked me to uh, take, you know, take a course, I felt worthy of that. I felt like I'd put my time in to do that. Um, the other thing would be um, start by offering to be a teaching assistant to an established teacher. Um, that helps them because it's just so lovely having a second person in class, especially if they're experienced because you can demonstrate things together. Uh, and I, I often think at the beginning, if you get two people who can demonstrate an exercise well, then you've set yourself up for a really good class. Sometimes if you're just picking two members of class and they just don't quite get it, then everyone in their head starts thinking, oh, this is not a very good exercise. I'm not even going to try on it. So a TA in an improv class is a real godsend. Uh, you and if you are that teaching assistant you can see how different people teach you can start to think how you you would you can demonstrate because you'd often take a couple of exercises per class you know start that journey um and you're offering help to someone else which is also really good yeah. so yeah either do it for free or uh ask to ta um an established teacher um, if if you want to be found and people want to find you, how do they do that? Uh, me personally, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have I have a website, uh, chrismead.co. So c h r i s m e a d dot co. Um, that has links to everything else that I do in improv. Uh, I also have a newsletter which I'm really proud of, which isn't about what I do, so it's not like my shows. Uh, or my classes because I recognize there's only a very small amount of people that can get to those it's more like every month I read so many improv articles I get excited by so many uh, things around improv watch videos on it and I'm just curating my best five or six from that month that I think might be other people might like so it's just sort of a curated list, uh, list of cool improv stuff so you can sign up to that there as well which I think is probably that's all my best stuff <laughs> is awesome. on that website. Um, any final thoughts or anything that you were like, oh, I really want to dig a little more deeper into this? No, I think, I think I've said it really that I just think this is so important that sharing these things and seeing uh, that wherever we are in the world, we have so much there as like as improv, as improvisers generally and as improv teachers, and that we do need to see ourselves as a community of practice. We're not alone in this at all. There's so many ways that we can get support uh, uh, in what we do. And, you know, improv boils down to supporting uh, your scene partner, your fellow improvisers. So uh, thank you very much for providing this, really. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to ask you one more question. Um, do you think we're going to get a Doctor Who Christmas special? This year? Yes. Uh, I, I think we will definitely get some kind of thing, because obviously last year it was New Year's. Uh, I think, we, and David Tennant has started talking about the 60th as well, so we might even be getting a massive multi-Doctor story which will be uh, very exciting. I want to see the 13th Doctor meet the 12th Doctor so much. Oh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, I, uh, <laughs> we're not going to go down that path because that'll be another three hours. Of That's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you so much.